You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. As you are turning there, if you haven't heard the good news, um, or if you have, I'm going to tell you again, Kim and I are going to be grandparents. March, amen. Um, I'm going to be granddaddy and she's going to be Grammy, which really, is that right, Grammy? Did I say that right? Um, it's changed, I, it, well, anyway, she's going to be Grammy. It, it's changed my view. I always thought granddaddies were, were old, uh, and they're not. Uh, and so um, uh, I, am, I am super, super excited. Uh, it's a little boy. And I've already seen pictures of the little peanut, and he is strong. He is the best-looking boy of all boys uh, that I have ever seen. Um, if you think I am bragging now, wait till March 2020. Um, uh, you will be tired of me bragging, uh, but that's okay, because I've listened to y'all brag, you bunch of grandparents, so it's time for me to dish it back out. I'm going to give it back to you. Um, so excited about that. I can't tell you how uh, thrilled we are uh, to be welcoming this little baby, our oldest son, Branson, and his wife, Mandy, little boy, Bowman Lane Ponder, coming March 2020. All right, Acts chapter 1. Are you there? Acts chapter 1. What a wonderful, wonderful book. The book of Acts could be titled many things. It could be titled uh, Luke Part 2. Uh, Dr. Luke, the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. Uh, It is not a gospel account. It's not telling us about Jesus who lived a perfect life. It is telling us about how Jesus infected men, sinful men, who lived a life that, bring, that brought honor and glory to God. title of the book of Acts could be, and in some translations even give it this, the Acts of the Apostles. It is a historical book of the birth of the church, but please don't let that word history um, cause you to doze off. This is not a boring book whatsoever. The book of Acts, if we study it well, it should create an urgency inside of us, an excitement inside of us. It should create a desire inside of us to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to God from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed and our dreams bring honor and glory to Him as well. And it will do that if we will study it well, if we will, if we will dive in and take the time to study this wonderful book. We're going to look at this book for the next nine or ten weeks, just the, just the first nine chapters, the birth, if you will, of the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now, I apologize for my coughs. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to what it says. After he had said this, this is that he is Jesus. After Jesus had given the apostles, the disciples, their mission, After he had said this, he was taken up. Notice that he was taken. That he didn't, like, jump. He was taken. Something took him. He was taken up as they were watching, the disciples, as they were watching him, he was taken up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
While he was going, while Jesus was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand? Why do you remain here standing, looking into heaven? This same Jesus. Now, I want you to underline verse, this part of verse 11. This same Jesus. Key. Key words right here. This same Jesus. Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Let me say that again. This same Jesus, who you have seen taken from you, will come again in the same way. Look at their response, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Then it gives us a list of the 11 apostles. You remember one is missing. That's uh, Judas. Uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus a little over a month ago, uh, allowed Jesus to be arrested. Uh, Judas has killed himself. And so it's just the 11 remaining apostles, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And then verse 14, watch this. Verse 14, here's the disciples. Here's these 11 apostles who have seen Jesus go into heaven. Look at their response. They all, not some, they all. This is key because this was not a group of, of men who necessarily liked each other. If you remember in the Gospels, there's a story where where two of them are trying to one-up the others. They're trying to get the best seat in the house next to Jesus when they get to heaven. Uh, Some of them, they're undercutting each other. But notice, they were all continually united in prayer, along with, not just the 11 disciples, but along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers, God, would you speak powerfully to us this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you teach us your word? Would you reveal your truth? And God, would you show us how we can respond in a right way to honor you, to glorify you, to be about what you have called us to do? It is in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week I made this statement that the birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. The birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. I made this statement, no political party can defeat it. Technology will not alter its course. Scripture even says the gates of hell will not overcome it. The demonic forces will not have the power to overcome the power of The church. The birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this. If Jesus, God forbid, if Jesus waits another 2,000 years before he returns, what will the health of the church look like? If Jesus waits another 2,000 years, what will the health of the body of Christ look like? Surely you care, right? Surely surely you care that 
that it's healthy. Surely you care that it continues to be a revolutionary force. We stand, listen, you and I stand on the shoulders of the apostles who met in that upper room and prayed. We stand on their shoulders. I don't know that, I don't believe at all that they thought it was going to be 2,000 years before, 2,000 plus years before Jesus Christ came back. I believe that they thought it might have been by the end of the night or by the next day or definitely, as Paul says several times, by the end of his lifetime, he believed that Jesus was going to come back. Surely we care that, that whether it be five years, <coughs> 10 years, or 2,000 years, that the health of the church be strong. Will it still be a revolutionary force like it was the first day that it was birthed? Here's the good news. You and I don't have to wring our hands stressing, being fearful that the light of the gospel will be snuffed out. I can guarantee you, based on God's Word, the light of the gospel will never be snuffed out. God tells us, Jesus tells us, the gates of hell will not overcome it, overpower it. But the light, that's all right, man, let that baby cry, it's good. It's totally okay. But the light The testimony of Jesus Christ will never be extinguished before Jesus returns. Never. Allow me to make this personal to us, right right here, First Baptist Church Farwell, if you will. I want you to notice this question on the screen. Based on the current trajectory of our post-Christian culture, and, and I would make the case that we live in a post-Christian culture. Some are saying we're so post-Christian that we are in a pre-Christian culture. I don't know that I'm ready to go that far, but we are definitely in a post-Christian culture. So based on the current trajectory of our post-Christian culture, what will our church look like in the coming years in terms of gospel impact on the families who live in the communities that God allows us to serve. So keep that up there. I want us to to think on this for just a moment. What will our church look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, based on the current trajectory of our post-Christian culture? What will our church look like in terms of gospel impact on the families that God is allowing us to minister uh, to, to serve. Let me dig just a little bit deeper with that question. Is FBC Farwell a revolutionary force? Is it a revolutionary force? Yes. Let me answer that. You might be afraid to answer that. You might say, we're in church. I can't answer out loud. It's okay. Yes, we are. But we can be better. Without any question, we can be better. To say no, that we're not a revolutionary force would be saying this, that we're not making an impact on any families. And I believe that we are. I know that we are. But there is no question that we can be better. 
Are we making an eternal difference in the lives of families who live in the communities God allows us to serve? Yes, but we can do more. Here's a question I want you to think about also. If FBC FAR will close her doors and boarded up the windows, would it make a negative impact on our community? If FBC FAR will close the doors, put a sign on the door, closed, out of business, boarded up the windows, would it make a negative impact on our community? Negative? Yes, without any question. A church who is a revolutionary force makes such an impact that with its removal, it would be total devastation on the community. Would it make a negative impact? Yes. Would it be total devastation? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And God has called us to be a church who is a revolutionary force, who is making an impact on a community that if, God forbid, something happened, it would be devastating for that community. Can FBC Far will be a revolutionary force without any question? Can we be a revolutionary force that has an eternal impact on the people who live within a 30-mile radius, about a 30-mile radius, Clovis, Bovina, Texaco, Muleshoe? Can we make an eternal impact on those people? Yes. But what we have to do is do what the disciples did. If we want to be a revolutionary force that makes an impact on a five-mile radius, a 10-mile radius, I was, doing, <laughs> I was doing some studies just this week. Within 10-mile radius, not counting Clovis, not counting Muleshoe, just a 10-mile radius of our church, there are close to 1,500 people, just <laughs> almost 1,500 people who have never graduated high school who could be blessed by going through a GED program. That's an impact. That's making a revolution. Revolutionary impact on a community. You say, man, well, that's, that's random. No, it's, that, is a very, that is a very basic, a very simple way that we can make an impact on our community. Is it eternal? Possibly. It possibly could be eternal that as we're sharing the truths of, of, of schoolwork, we could be sharing the truths of the gospel, and people could be coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We see that on the mission field. If it works on the mission field, it can work right here at home. We have to re reach people right where they are with the gospel. So if we're going to be a revolutionary force, we have to do what the early disciples did. What did they do? Let's look at it. What did the disciples do? They obeyed what Jesus called them to do. They obeyed. Look with me in verse 9. Actually, let's back up. Let's pull back into last week's text. Verse 4, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. He's commanding them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait 
for the Father's promise. The Father's promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will receive power for what? You will receive power to be my witnesses, to be my, my testifiers in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to, to, the, to the corners of the world. This is where I am sending you, and I am sending you to go powerfully. Now, I don't want to. I just. I don't want to draw too much on this, but Jesus is saying this: your focus should not be. Oh, I want to be cautious how I say this. Your focus should not be on heaven alone. I am sending you out to make an impact with the people that you live around. The people in the outer parts of where you live around, and on and on and on. And what do we see that they did in verse 12? After Jesus ascended, they returned and went back to the upper room. The last place they had met with Jesus, when Jesus is giving the Last Supper, just before he is arrested and crucified. They obey. Why did they obey? They had a promise. And I want you to write, this is point number one of my message. They had a promise to sustain them. But let's personalize us. We have a promise to sustain us. How can we obey? When Jesus is absent, when we, when we know the call that he has placed on us to be a church that is a revolutionary force in Farwell, in five-mile radius, in 10-mile radius, in 30-mile radius, all around the world, we are called to be a, uh, a, a, a revolutionary force. How can we do that? We have a promise to sustain us. Oh, this is good. Look at, look, go, back, go back to verse 9. Look at what, look at what happens at verse 9. After Jesus had said this, he was taken up. I said this in the first part of the text. It wasn't, like, it wasn't as if Jesus like, like pushed off some stone. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was jet propulsioned up. Something, something took him. What is it that, that took him into heaven? Go, keep going. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, that's an interesting thing, right? The cloud didn't just cover him, as some translations, so that they could know, like, like he, you know, an airplane goes through the clouds, you can see it now, but once it goes through the clouds, you can't see it anymore because it's above the clouds. That's, that's not it. The clouds didn't keep the disciples from being able to see him. A cloud took him. Now, what does that mean? What is the reference to a cloud? Who is this? The reference to a cloud is none other than God himself. This is huge. God came to earth and took Jesus back to heaven. How do I know that? Starting all the way back, almost every book of the Bible references God as a cloud, or a cloud being referenced as God. In Genesis, in Genesis chapter 8, it talks about a rainbow, the promise of God, but the rainbow is in the presence of the cloud. The promise of God is in the presence of God, that God would never flood the earth again. 
In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Let me read this to you. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Then the Lord went ahead of them, speaking of the nation of Israel who is coming out of Egypt. Then the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. God's presence is referenced as a cloud in Exodus, multiple places in Exodus. But if that's not enough, let's go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5 says this. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And a voice from the cloud said, speaking about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here's God speaking from a cloud. Here's God directing from a cloud. It's God in his presence with the promise of the rainbow from a cloud. And in our text this morning, we see that it is Jesus who is taken up by none other than God himself. Verse 10. Here comes the promise that sustains us. Watch what happens. While he was going, while Jesus was going, the disciples were doing exactly what you and I would have done. Luke doesn't tell us that their mouths were wide open, but they had to be. Jesus is ascending into heaven, and the disciples are gazing, it says, into heaven. And as they are gazing, some people show up, two men. As they were gazing, suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. Now, we don't know who these guys are. We don't know specifically who they are. It possibly could be Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah showed up once before, again on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17, let's go back to that, verses 1 through 6. Watch this. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. After six, six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, watch this, suddenly, just like suddenly that showed up with the disciples, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So so these two people, these two men who show up suddenly to the disciples, it's possibly, we don't know this for sure, but it's possibly Moses and Elijah. If it wasn't Moses and Elijah, it's possibly the two angels who showed up at the empty tomb. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. Let me read this for you. Listen. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men by them in dazzling clothes appeared. Again. We don't know who it was, Moses and Elijah, or these two angels, but what we do know is that they spoke on behalf of God. As God's presence 
makes himself known in the cloud as he envelops Jesus. He brings with him either two angels or Moses or Elijah to speak on his behalf to the disciples to give them a promise of assurance. What is the promise of assurance? Look at it. Verse 11. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking? Why do you remain here? Which feels like an odd question, right? That's what I would have been. That's what any of us would have been doing. We've been following this Jesus. He was was crucified. He was resurrected. And he's been showing himself for the last 40 days. We've been hanging out with him. We've been eating with him. And now he's just gone. He's just, cloud has enveloped him. He's gone up into heaven. It would have been odd for them just to kind of start kicking rocks and walking off, wouldn't it? These two men, they give the disciples a promise. They give you and I a beautiful, beautiful promise to assure us that Jesus is coming back. Look at what they say. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, not, an- not another one, not, uh, not one that, that kind of acts like him, uh, not, not a Jesus 2.0, but this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come. Here's the promise. Will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. This is the good news. Jesus is coming back. That ought to be enough to excite us to be a revolutionary force. Because with his return, sinners who have never given their life to Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. And we know, based on a promise of God, based on these two testimonies, or this one testimony by these two men sent by God, that Jesus is coming back. This ought to create an urgency inside of us to be a revolutionary force. This same Jesus who has been taken from you will come in the same way that you have seen him going back into heaven. This same Jesus, the same Jesus who was born in a manger, he's coming back. This same Jesus who walked on water is coming back. This same Jesus who fed 5,000 is coming back. This same Jesus who calmed the storms is coming back. This same Jesus who raised the dead is coming back. This same Jesus who restored Peter, who denied him, is coming back. This same Jesus who who forgave the woman at the well is coming back. This same Jesus who freed the demoniac uh, is coming back. This same Jesus who bore the crowns of thorns on his head is coming back. This same Jesus who went to the cross is coming back. This same Jesus who stretched out his hands and his feet and paid the penalty for our sins is coming back. He's coming back. And with that promise, there is an assurance. He's coming back and we can be bold in our faith that we can be a revolutionary force, that we can reach out to people who are, who are struggling in their, in their relationship with their parents, struggling in their marriages, struggling with their schoolwork. We can be a revolutionary force with people who don't know that Jesus Christ is the one who pays the penalty for their sin, who need to know that there is forgiveness for their sin, who needs to know that there is an eternity waiting for them after they die. We can be a revolutionary force. 
assured by this promise that Jesus is coming back. He's not just coming back, though. He's coming back, it says, just like he left. He's coming back just like he left. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. I love this imagery of Jesus. Listen to what it says. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud. Here he comes, right? Presence of God. Jesus There was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud, who is that? Jesus Christ, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Let me ask you, are you ready for Jesus Christ's return? He's coming back. Are you ready? It could be at any moment. It could be before this service is over. It could be before this day closes. Jesus is coming back. We are assured of that. Listen, we have a promise to sustain us. But not only do we have a promise to sustain us, but I want you to notice point number two. We have a power to propel us. We have a power to propel us. Isn't it? As children of God, you and I are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I spent a little bit of time on this last week, and I want to spend some more time this week. You and I are indwelt with the Holy Spirit as children of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the power of God inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God inside of you. The Holy Spirit is your guidance system. He is your teacher. He is your strength to say no to temptation. He is your courage to step out of your comfort zone to share the truth of God's Word. He is your source of Christ-like character. That's the Holy Spirit. He is your source of Christ-like character. As you submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, you begin to see the fruit of that submission working its way out in Christ-likeness. As we submit, we begin to see love begin to to flow out so that when we see people who are hurting, the problem is, listen, the problem is as Christians, we're so consumed with ourselves that we we don't even see the hurt of people around us. I don't know why I picked out on this one, but it just, it, it, it broke my heart when I saw just a, I mean, we live in a rural, small area in 14, almost 1,500 people with no high school education. Broke my heart. What would a GED give to them to be able to be better employed? Just to have the pride, the joy of finishing a task. That's such a small thing, and that is not more important than the gospel whatsoever. Listen, we're missing, Christians, we're missing the fruit of love for lost people around us, people beyond our our family, people beyond our, our small circle of influence. There are people around us who are dying and will go to hell unless they hear the truth of the gospel. Farwell, Texas, here we are in this small little rural town of 1,300, 1,400 people maybe. You add up all of the churches here in Farwell, and there's maybe 300 people attending on a Sunday. It means 1,000 people 
let's give, let's just be gracious and say another 300. The, the other 300, another 300 are going somewhere else, Muleshoe, Clovis, Bovina, somewhere else that live right here. That's 600 people who aren't going anywhere, who aren't being encouraged by the Word of God, who aren't getting to, be able, getting to experience the love of brothers and sisters in Christ, who aren't living in family. Oh, there's so much work to do. The Holy Spirit is the source of our Christ-likeness. As we begin to submit to the Holy Spirit, who empowers us, we begin to see the fruit of that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control just begin to, to flow out of us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to propel us. Let's, let's go back and let's look at the promise that Jesus made his disciples. Again, look back, look back in verse 4 with me. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. There it is. He's just, go back and, and wait for the Father's promise. <coughs> for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. You have heard me speak about the Holy Spirit. You have heard me promise that he is coming. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Scripture doesn't tell us. I wish, I wish it did. Scripture doesn't tell us what the disciples prayed in the upper room there in verse 14. But if I was guessing, their prayer went something like this. Think about it. Jesus has just left. They've seen him crucified, resurrected. Come back. Hang out with them. Hang out with a lot of people. Now he's gone. But they have this promise, the Holy Spirit, come on you, and you will receive power. So here's kind of what I wrote. I think their prayer looks something like this. God, your son told us you would send the Holy Spirit to empower us. Now would be a great time. <laughs> right now would be a great time. We're in the upper room, in case you need to know. We're in the upper room in Jerusalem. Yeah. Jerusalem, where they just crucified your son a little over a month ago. So if you could send this Holy Spirit, would you mind sending it Amazon Prime? Drone Amazon Prime. Like, send it now. That's what I think their prayer would have been like. Little did they know it was going to be 10 days before they received the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is this a prayer that we need to pray today? Once you become a believer, is there, is there like something else? Like, like, do you need to spend some time in, in prayer or learning a new language or, or learning something that the other people 
in, in the Christian world don't know? Is there, is there like something else that you, that you need to wait for before you can be a revolutionary force for the gospel? Absolutely not. We should not pray by, like, like God, I'm waiting for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. The early believers were in a brief, 10-day, unrepeatable period between the promise of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, say that again. The apostles were in a brief, 10-day, unrepeatable period between the promise of the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Ever since then, believers have been immediately baptized in the Spirit at the moment of salvation. I want you to hear that. There is nothing else that you need. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God living inside of you. You can be, we collectively can be, should be commanded to be a revolutionary force. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, for we are all baptized. Here's the Apostle Paul teaching this young church. This is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen to his instruction. For we, all, for we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. He is not saying to them, this is a prayer that you need to pray. This is something else that you need on top of salvation. No, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Listen, the problem with a powerless Christian is not a lack of filling of the Holy Spirit, but a jam-packed life conformed and shaped by the desires of our flesh. That's the problem of a powerless Christian. It's not that God hasn't given you what you need. It's that we have rejected by chasing the flesh instead of submitting to the Spirit. We must repent from a flesh-filled life if we want a revolutionary gospel force among our family and our community. If we want to be a revolutionary gospel force, we must repent from a flesh-filled life. Remember what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of what God has given you that you don't even deserve. I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, Paul says, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed, do not be shaped to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, the perfect will of God. We have a promise to sustain us. We have a power to propel us. And then we have a resource to revive us. Point number three, we have a resource to revive us. Look at verse 13. Then they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Gives a list of the 11 apostles. Verse 14, they all, this is a key word, they 
all were continually, and again, key phrase, united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. How would you like to have been in that room? Here's 11 guys who most of the time didn't always get along with each other. Jesus' brothers thought Jesus was a kook before his crucifixion and his resurrection. Mary thought she had lost her son to the most gruesome form of execution, crucifixion. But now she knows that he has risen. Now she knows that he has gone back up into heaven. The brothers know that he's right. He was the Messiah. And the apostles who fought for position, who denied Jesus, who ran when he was crucified, they're all coming back together. This word all is the biggest little word in the New Testament. This is huge. No one opted out of the prayer meeting. No one. Everyone was a prayer warrior in the early church. Everyone. Notice they were praying united in prayer. United with one another. Their prayer meeting is a model for our church. All united, setting differences aside, united in prayer for gospel advancement. They were unified as if they were one person. They were, it's, it's what this, this, this word means, that they were, they were continually united. It's as, as if there was just one there. They were of one mind. Listen, FBC Farwell will be a revolutionary force spreading the gospel, making eternal impact on families when unified prayer becomes a priority of our leaders and of our members of the church. We will become a revolutionary force when we become united in prayer, all of us, our leaders and the members of this church. 19th century English preacher, Charles Hayden Spurgeon. Charles Hayden Spurgeon is considered to be the prince of preachers. There was, at some of his services, over 10,000 people in attendance in the mid-1800s. Charles Hayden Spurgeon led literally thousands and thousands and thousands to faith in Christ. He would make Billy Graham look like a, I don't know what. I mean, he was an amazing man of God. Charles Hayden Spurgeon never took the credit for what God was doing. The people that he gave credit for what was going on was the people in what he called the boiler room. The boiler room was a place where sometimes hundreds of people would gather before and during the service while Spurgeon was preaching. There was a group of people in the boiler room praying that God would move on behalf of the lost people there. That lost people, would, their hearts would be open, that their minds would be receptive to the truth of the gospel that Spurgeon was laying out before them. And as they prayed, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because of, Spurgeon says, because of 
the boiler room. Listen to what he says. Listen to this quote. Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in esteem of Christians. People would come to his church. Preachers would come to his church and want to know the trick. Like, how are you getting this done? And he would point to the boiler room. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the answer. This is what Jesus has given us. This is what he has instructed us. And it is this, I believe, without any question, it is this that made the birth of the early church such a revolutionary force. And if we're going to be a revolutionary force, we have to do the same thing they did. And we must be united in prayer. Not a few of us, but all of us. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.